Children's Homer, Part 1. Chapter 21 Now Hector's sister was the first to see her father coming in across the plain of Troy with the wagon upon which his body was laid. She came down to the city, and she cried through the streets, O men and women of Troy, ye who often went to the gates to meet Hector coming back with victory, come now to the gates to receive Hector dead. Then every man and woman in the city took themselves outside the gate, and they brought in the wagon upon which Hector was laid, and all day, from the early dawn to the going down of the sun, they wailed for him who had been the guardian of their city. His father took the body to the house where Hector had lived, and he laid it upon his bed. Then Hector's wife, Andromache, went to the bed and cried over the body. Husband, she cried, thou art gone from life, and thou hast left me a widow in thy house. Our child is yet little, and he shall not grow to manhood in the halls that were thine. For long before that the city will be taken and destroyed. How can it stand when thou who were its best guardian has perished? The folk lament thee, Hector, but for me, and for thy little son, doomed to grow up among strangers, and men unfriendly to him, the pain for thy death will ever abide. And Hecabe, Hector's mother, went to the bed and cried, Of all my children thou, Hector, wert the dearest. Thou wert slain because it was not thy way to play the coward. Ever wert thou championing the men and women of Troy, without thought of taking shelter or flight. And for that, thou wert slain, my son. And I, Helen, went to the bed, too, to lament for noble Hector. Of all the friends I had in Troy, thou wert the dearest, Hector, I cried. Never did I hear one harsh word from thee to me, who brought wars and troubles to thy city. In every way thou wert as a brother to me. Therefore I bewail thee with pain at my heart, for in all Troy there is no one now who is friendly to me. Then did the king and the folk of the city prepare for Hector's funeral. On the tenth day, Weeping most bitter tears, they bore brave Hector away, and they made a grave for him, and over the grave they put close-set stones, and over it all they raised a great barrow. On the eleventh day they feasted at King Prime's house, and on the twelfth day the battle began anew. Chapter 22 For many days Telemachus and his comrade Pisistratus stayed in the house of King Menelaus. On the evening before he departed, Menelaus spoke to him of the famous deeds of his father, Odysseus. Now Achilles was dead, said Menelaus, and his glorious armor was offered as a prize for the warrior, whom the Greeks thought the most of. Two men strove for the prize, Odysseus and his friend Aias. To Odysseus the armor of Achilles was given. 
but he was in no way glad of the prize, for his getting it had wounded the proud spirit of great Aias. It was fitting that Odysseus should have been given Achilles' armor, for no warrior in the host had done better than he. But Odysseus was to do still greater things for us. He knew that only one man could wield a bow better than Paris, Paris, who had shot with an arrow Achilles, and who after that had slain many of our chiefs. That man was Philoctetes. He had come with Agamemnon's host to Troy. But Philoctetes had been bitten by a water snake, and the wound given him was so terrible that none of our warriors could bear to be near him. He was left on the island of Lemnos, and the host lost memory of him. But Odysseus remembered and he took ship to Lemnos and brought Philoctetes back. With his great bow, and with the arrows of Hercules that were his, Philoctetes shot at Paris upon the wall of Troy and slew him with an arrow. And then Odysseus devised the means by which we took Priam's city at last. He made us build a great wooden horse. We built it and left it upon the plain of Troy, and the Trojans wondered at it greatly. And Odysseus had counseled us to bring our ships down to the water and to burn our stores and to make it seem in every way that we were going to depart from Troy in weariness. This we did, and the Trojans saw the great host sail away from before their city, but they did not know that a company of the best of our warriors was within the hollow of the wooden horse, nor did they know that we had left a spy behind to make a signal for our return. The Trojans wondered why the great wooden horse had been left behind, and there were some who considered that it had been left there as an offering to the goddess Pallas Athena, and they thought it should be brought within the city. Others were wiser and would have left the wooden horse alone, but those who considered that it should be brought within prevailed. And as the horse was too great to bring through the gate, They flung down part of the wall, that they might bring it through. The wooden horse was brought within the walls, and left upon the streets of the city, and the darkness of the night fell. Now Helen, my wife, came down to where the wooden horse was, and she, suspecting there were armed men within, walked around it three times, calling to every captain of the Greeks who might be within, in his own wife's voice. And when the sound of a voice that had not been heard for so many years came to him, each of the captains started up to answer. But Odysseus put his hands across the mouth of each, and so prevented them from being discovered. We had left a spy hidden between the beach and the city. Now when the great wooden horse had been brought within the walls, and night had fallen, The spy lighted a great fire that was signal to the ships that had sailed away. They returned with the host before the day broke. Then we who were within the wooden horse broke through the boards and came out on the city with our spears and swords in our hands. The guards beside the gates we slew, and we made a citadel of the wooden horse and fought around it. The warriors from the ships crossed the wall where it was broken down, and we swept through the streets and came to the citadel of the king. Thus, we took Prime City and all its treasures, and thus I won back my own wife, the lovely Helen. 
that after we had taken and sacked King Prime City, great troubles came upon us. Some of us sailed away, and some of us remained on the shore at the bidding of King Agamemnon to make sacrifice to the gods. We separated, and the doom of death came to many of us. Nestor I saw at Lesbos, but none other of our friends have I ever since seen. Agamemnon, my own brother, came to his own land. But I would have been happier for him if he had died on the plains of Troy, and if we had left a great barrow heaped over him. For he was slain in his own house, and by one who had married the wife he had left behind. When the Ancient One of the Sea told me of my brother's doom, I sat down upon the sand and wept. And I was minded to live no more, nor to see the light of the sun. And of thy father, Telemachus, I have told thee what I myself know, and what was told me of him by the Ancient One of the Sea, how he stands on an island where the nymph Calypso holds him against his will. But where that island lies I do not know. Odysseus is there, and he cannot win back to his own country. Seeing that he has no ship and no companions to help him make his way across the sea. But Odysseus was ever master of devices, and also he is favored greatly by the goddess, Pallas Athena. For these reasons, Telemachus, be hopeful that your father will yet reach his own home and country. Chapter 23 Now the goddess, Pallas Athena, had thought for Telemachus, and she came to him where he lay in the vestibule of Menelaus's house. His comrade, Pisistratus, was asleep, but Telemachus was wakeful, thinking upon his father. Athena stood before his bed and said to him, Telemachus, no longer shouldst thou wander abroad, for the time has come when thou shouldst return. Come, rouse Menelaus, and let him send thee upon thy way. Then Telemachus woke Pisistratus out of his sleep and told him that it was best that they should be going on their journey. But Pisistratus said, Tarry until it is dawn, Telemachus, when Menelaus will come to us and send us on our way. Then when it was light, King Menelaus came to them. When he heard that they would depart, he told the Lady Helen to bid the maids prepare a meal for them. He himself, with Helen his wife, and Megapenthes his son, went down into his treasure chamber and brought forth for gifts to Telemachus a two-handled cup and a great mixing bowl of silver. And Helen took out a chest with a beautiful robe that she herself had made and embroidered. They came to Telemachus, where he stood by the chariot with Pisistratus, ready to depart. Then Menelaus gave him the beautiful two-handled cup that had been a gift to himself from the king of Sidonians. Megapenthes brought up the great bowl of silver and put it in the chariot, and beautiful Helen came to him, holding the embroidered robe. I, too, have a gift, dear child, for thee, she said. Bring this robe home and leave it in thy mother's keeping. I want thee to have it to give to thy bride when thou bringest her into thy father's halls. Then were the horses yoked to the chariot, 
and Telemachus and Pisistratus bade farewell to Menelaus and Helen, who had treated them so kindly. As they were ready to go, Menelaus poured out of a golden cup wine as an offering to the gods. And as Menelaus poured it out, Telemachus prayed that he might find Odysseus, his father, in his home. Now as he prayed, a bird flew from the right hand and over the horse's heads. It was an eagle, and it bore in its claws a goose that belonged to the farmyard. Telemachus asked Menelaus, Was this not a sign from Zeus, the greatest of the gods? Then said Helen, Hear me now, for I will prophesy from this sign to you. Even as yonder eagle has flown down from the mountain and killed a goose of the farmyard, so will Odysseus come from far to his home and kill the wooers who are there. May Zeus grant that it be so, said Telemachus. He spoke and lashed the horses, and they sped across the plain. When they came near the city of Pylos, Telemachus spoke to his comrade Pisistratus and said, Did not take me past my ship, son of Nestor. When they came near the city of Pylos, Telemachus spoke to his comrade Pisistratus and said, Do not take me past my ship, son of Nestor. Thy good father expects me to return to his house. But I fear that if I should, he out of friendliness would be anxious to make me stay many days. But I know that I should now return to Ithaca. The son of Nestor turned the horses toward the sea, and they drove the chariot to where Telemachus's ship was anchored. Then Telemachus gathered his followers, and he bade them take on board the presents that Menelaus and Helen had given him. They did this, and they raised the mast and the sails, and the rowers took their seats on the benches. A breeze came, and the sails took it, and Telemachus and his companions sailed toward home. And all unknown to the youth, his father Odysseus was even then nearing his home.